Hey, вы настроены на радио Topcast, с вами здесь Norm and Shaggy. Hey, this is Curb, and even hot Russian chicks love to listen to Norm and Shaggy on Topcast. Hey, this is Oksana, you're listening to Topcast with Norm and Shaggy. You're listening to Topcast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash Topcast. Okay, welcome to another edition of Topcast. We're doing a special Sunday afternoon show. Um, we've got a real, real special guest who I'd like to introduce in just a second. Um, sorry for the last minute, but um, sometimes these people are very, very busy and it's hard to get them scheduled. And this is one gentleman that was willing to do this live, meaning that we can take callers towards the end part of the show if you've got any questions for him, which is really nice. Special, special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Okay, we've got uh, on the line, we've got a special guest. Our special guest is Todd McCulloch, former NBA star who played for the Philadelphia 76ers and is now the color commentary guy for, uh, what's the radio station that you work for, Todd? Predominantly uh, 610 WIP is where the games are broadcast, but actually work for the Sixers themselves. Very nice, very nice. And now, why don't we uh, start with... uh, college and you know basketball and pinball and because these two things kind of intertwine right they, uh, they they do I have uh, always uh, always loved pinball and uh, I've loved basketball for quite some time and they they intertwined and uh, I played on the junior national team in Canada and uh, we don't exactly have a US dream team budget we would take uh, school buses to games and lived in dorms that were not, the beds were of course not long enough for me, there was no TV phone and nothing, so when we were done with our couple hours of practice, there was a lot of time killing, so I found the rec room of this uh, college that we were staying at, and they had a video game, and they had a whitewater with basically all of the lights burned out, but uh, I figured this is better than whatever I got going on, which I had nothing going on, so I'd play whitewater, and uh, didn't know how to play the game, because this was the first time I'd ever seen it with all the lights burned out, and free you that are familiar with the game, you you aim for the flat like any other pinball machine, you aim for the flashing lights and advance the raft. But I had no idea what I was doing. I knew I could lock a couple of balls and uh, and get some get multi ball, and that's about all I was trying to do. And so I fell in love with the game. And every summer I would go back, and it would still be there. And uh, so I played it for three or four consecutive summers, and convinced myself that I was never going to get tired of the game. And some when I when I had a basement and. Uh, a little bit of spending money, I'd, I'd buy myself a whitewater. And uh, you know, other times I'd be coming home from basketball practice and I'd want to get a uh, a Slurpee. And so I'd stop at 7-Eleven, and a lot of 7-Elevens in the day would have um, pinball machines, and the one that was closest to me had a whirlwind. So I'd get my Slurpee and go over and put my money in whirlwind, and they, there were uh, more work rates on that one. So I kind of knew a little bit what, what I was doing. I fell in love with that game. And uh, I used to used to bowl, and there was a pinball at the bowling alley, and I used to roller skate, and there was a pinball there. So when I uh, signed with the New Jersey Nets, and my wife and I bought a home, I found a gentleman who asked him what he did, and he said, well, I I work for uh, Betson, and we have pinball machines and pool tables and things like that. And I said, oh, man, I, I've been looking. I want to get big water, and I want to get a pinball, and I want to get a, a, a Jurassic Park. And he said, well, I can help you out with those. And Sooner rather than later, they were delivered, and uh, I there's nothing I wanted to do except uh, pinballs. I still had to. Now, we should state a couple things. First off, uh, what position do you play? I'm a center. Um, numerically, and they take the positions one through five, five being the center. And uh, it tends to be a bit of a blur these days with, uh, with seven-footers that can shoot threes like Dirk Nowitzki and others, and I was uh, kind of a true center, which means you play mostly with your back to the basket, you know, you don't stray too far from uh, from either hoop. And what and what is your what was your height? Uh, five twenty four, uh, six eleven, and thirteen sixteen to be precise. I round up and call myself a footer. If you're a footer, you're a seven footer. You're a seven footer. I've yeah. I've stood next to Todd, and it's like 
Yeah, our nickname for Todd amongst, you know, me and a couple friends is the Gentle Giant. He's, um, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not exactly tall. I'd say, you know, I'm average or maybe, yeah, I'm probably an average height. And you're, oh, man. I, I mean, when you walk in my house, every doorway, it's like an instinct you have to, you have to duck, you know. And basements, I guess, are only going to be so much, so much worse, you know. So when you, uh, you, you, you played, you were going to Canada, school in Canada or school in the United States in college? I was going to school in the United States. I accepted a scholarship to the University of Washington in Seattle, and then in the summers I would go to Canada and train and compete with the Canadian national team. But I went to uh, a Pac-10 school, University of Washington in Seattle, for five years, the first year being a redshirt year, kind of a training year, and then I competed for, for four years and then was drafted at the conclusion of my collegiate career in the second round by the Philadelphia 76ers in 1999. Now, when you were in the United States... You were, were you or were you not eating Slurpees in the U.S.? Was I, was I not drinking Slurpees in the United States? Yes. Much less frequent. Uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, a plug here. I, I grew up in Winnipeg, which is the Slurpee capital of the world, and since they started actually charting Slurpees consumed per capita, Winnipeg has been a champ seven years running, and so I don't know what it is, but the whole city, most of the city, Six, seven hundred thousand people are addicted to Slurpees, so much so that a amateur documentarian in North Carolina, who's also a Slurpee addict, uh, I haven't met too many Slurpee addicts in the United States where I, I can I could give you several hundred in uh, Winnipeg or across Canada. He decided to do a document documentary on why Winnipeg is such a crazy place for Slurpees. So I uh, I am such a nut that I and I definitely prefer Canadian Slurpees. The reason that I found out later that Canadian Slurpees do not add a pressurization element, they don't add air to the mixture, so there's there's uh, just syrup and just CO2, and uh, it comes out thicker, wetter. In the U.S., they tend to add air, and so it comes out light and frothy and foamy, and that, to me, not as satisfying. So uh, when I when uh, we built a game room in uh, Seattle, it was my one of my lifelong dreams to have uh, access to a slurping machine, so I took the necessary steps and, and made sure I got a Canadian machine, and now I have a, uh, a Canadian slurping machine running Coke and Sprite right now in my game room. <laughs> yeah, I kind of knew that. I set you up for that question pretty pretty good. I, I figured most of them are going to be set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, now, you're also a pretty good pinball player. You competed in, in Papa last year, didn't you? I competed in Papa last year and the previous year, and I'm looking forward to uh, competing again. I finished 17th the first year in C Division, which is just out of advancing to the Sunday Finals. And then this uh, past year, I uh, finished 7th or 8th, somewhere in there. Uh, I had a good qualifying score and didn't didn't do so well as the uh, as the finals wore on. But uh, I like, uh, like playing pinball. I like competing, and it's just fun to meet some other collectors and just play around goal strategy. Yeah, I should tell you how we met. I mean, for not you, obviously, you know, but I should tell our listening audience how we met. It was, um, you know, I, I run the Marvin3m.com slash fix.htm site, and on there there is, um, you know, I've got subpages on, like, you know, EM Arcade Games and, and Wood Rails, Williams Wood Rails, Gottlieb Wood Rails, and, and um, Pitching Bats, and, you know, various other informational pages, not just repair pages. And I guess you had seen one of the pages and heard about and also saw Marvin3m.com, Marvin's place, and I just kind of got this email out of the blue, hi, my name is Todd McCulloch, you know, because, you know, frankly, I'm not really, you know, I don't really follow the NBA, so I didn't really know who you were, but you said, we're coming in town to play the Detroit Pistons on such and such date, you know, would you mind if, you know, I stopped by Marvin's and, you know, maybe I could, you know, we meet and talk and, uh, you know, play some pinball and some other games. And, you know, I thought that was... Yeah, at first, I, I was pretty prepared to just hit delete. Cause I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of thought it was just a joke, you know? I, I I didn't think it was, you know, for real. It just... I don't know. It kind of... You, you sounded too down-to-earth to me. It, it was like... yeah, You know, because it's funny, because I... I'm sure I, I told you this story before, that the current coach, who was your coach... Wait, wait. Your coach with the Knicks, or was he? You know, he's with the 76ers, right? He was with the 76ers, right? Right. And was our coach for the Pistons, uh, Larry Brown? And I got a, a a call from a lady once 
who said, I've got a pinball machine that's broken. Can you fix it? And I said, um, sure, what's the name of the game? And she said, I don't know. Let me call you back. So she calls back five minutes later and says, it's a uh, Michael Jordan Space Jam. Can you fix it? And I said, well, what's wrong with it? She says, I don't know. Just show up at this address and come fix this game. So I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I drove out to this house and it was, you know, it was a real nice house. And, uh, uh, you know, like a maid opened the door and, and let me in and showed me where the game was. She couldn't speak any English. You know, I fixed the game and on the wall there's all these posters of like Jordan and kind of this old guy, you know, with, you know, they got their arms around each other, you know, and, and all this Michael Jordan stuff. And, um, uh, you know, it turned out it was, it was Larry Brown's house. Um, you know, they were not, they didn't want to even admit whose house it was, but that's whose it was. Or where, when I got the email from you, it was real down to earth and like, you know, hey, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, and, you know, let's go play some pinball, which I thought was really cool. That, that's how I knew you weren't a huge NBA fan, because along with those Michael Jordan jerseys and things downstairs, he also had, he had an, uh, an E-Wing jersey down there, and I was like, E-Wing? Oh, that's Patrick Ewing, and only somebody who didn't follow the NBA wouldn't know that uh, it's Ewing, not E-Wing. By no, the it's E-Wing. I'm sure it's E-Wing. I think yeah. everybody has perpetuated the mispronunciation of it. It's really E-Wing. Actually, I have never heard anyone mispronounce Ewing in my entire life, except you. So, uh, thank you, thank you very much. Continue to be special. Well, you know, uh, I, I think you know you you got to uh, you got to excel at, at at everything you do. You know, you had the wrong emphasis on the syllable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so how many games do you have in your collection now? Oh. Somewhere a little over 100, maybe 110. Okay, I know for a fact that's not correct. Because you sat in my living room one day in front of the computer and we inventoried your games. And you had over 200 games. No, I I did not. You check your inventory again. You were so wrong. (laughs) Is your wife listening? Is that what the problem is? You just don't want to fess up because she might hear? You were were wrong. No, no, I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm going to go check that Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, go check your spreadsheet. Because you were absolute wrong record. We're broadcasting to the entire community. You were in absolute denial. I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm like, you know, when we're writing it up, you know, how many we at? Okay, we're at that number. How many we at now? And I could just see your eyes getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, darn, I bought a lot of games. I didn't know I was a three-digit collector. You are a three-digit collector, big time. And you have uh, a home in Seattle and one in Philly, and you kind of have your games spread out between the two. That's uh, that's correct. Most of my pinball machines are here in Philadelphia. Anything I couldn't fit down a narrow uh, stairwell down here, anything a little bit bigger, a little odd-shaped, went to uh, Seattle where I had uh, uh, a couple of doors and an open uh, walkout basement that I could fit that stuff, and that's kind of how it that's kind of how it started. If it was narrow enough, like a pinball machine stayed here. If it was odd-shaped, it went out there. That's kind of how, uh, how I made my decisions. And you did, like, an expansion to your Seattle home, right, just just for games, right? Yeah, we ran out of uh, we ran out of room in the basement, so uh, we met with the, the builder of our home and, and talked to him about uh, building a little little game room next to it. And uh, so we, my wife and I have a, a media room where we can watch movies, and then there's some... Uh, some 30s machines and and that, and then there's kind of a main floor that just has a you know one garage door where you can get big stuff in, and then there's a smaller room in the basement uh, where you I have you know some pitching bats and some other things that are pinball shaped cabinets. So there's a there's a few areas to play. And you've also started to expand your Philadelphia home too, right? Yeah, the basement's pretty full here, so I'm uh, I've got a friend that's a contractor uh, currently. Um, our garage is detached, and there was an, uh, it was an upper floor there that was just mainly for, for storage, and so we decided to finish that area to give me a little bit more uh, real estate to work with with, uh, with some other games that, that are uh, here in storage. And how many square feet are going to be adding there? Uh, not that much. I, it's basically a three-car garage it's, uh, above that that's being done, but it, it's such a steep roof that we've, I'm losing a whole lot of uh, space because of how steep the roof is, so I, I don't know, a couple, I don't know, how many square feet do you think is up there? It's not, not very much, we're probably looking at 14 games, something like that. Right, right. Now let's talk about your, your collection, because it's not just pinball, and and you don't really, I mean, well, you have a multi-cade, but that's pretty, and some driving games, and that's pretty much all your video stuff, right? 
Uh, yeah, I've got a, uh, a Namco Panic Park that's a lot of fun and a, and a Star Wars vector game, but not a, not a lot of video, which is ironic because growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, and not being much of a pinball player myself, I played a whole lot of video games, and that was what I did. And so, like a lot of other people that either went from video to, to pinball, I was one of them that I just found them more uh, entertaining. And uh, so I like video games a lot. I just haven't, uh, I feel like with my altercade, I can knock out a lot of those titles I used to play growing up. Right. So now you you also collect, though, aside from pinball and, and a couple video games, electromechanical arcade games that is the, the pre-1976 style of arcade games is that correct yeah that's that's correct i thought i was going to be done with the uh, pinball and then i came across your your site and all the wonderful pictures and information about all the interesting stuff that uh, dated back to the late 30s and so at, at first i felt like you know even though i grew up liking video games i wasn't really hot high on collecting a lot of them i just assumed that the well, first of all, I didn't realize all of the uh, electromechanical marvels that were out there. I was born in 1976, and uh, growing up in Winnipeg, there was arcades with video games and pinball, but I didn't ever have uh, boardwalks or places like that that might have some historical games hang around. It wasn't until I noticed your site that I saw some helicopter games, and I'd never seen a big ball bowler before. I think I'd even seen a puck bowler before, and so there was a whole... A slew of things that uh, that look very interesting on your site, and you kind of just went out and bought a lot of stuff, uh, from what I hear. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did go through a period of uh, mass acquisition where where uh, I just kind of liked the bowling games, and I liked the baseball games, and I liked the basketball games, and I liked games, and I liked the shooting games, and there wasn't a whole lot of things that uh, that I didn't like i'm not i'm not crazy about uh, older electromechanical pinball machines i have a, a couple of them but it, i just didn't grow up in that area and don't have a nostalgic tie to a lot of the, the titles or that artwork uh, but i do like animated games you know things like nags and knockout and, and things like that and what like as far as like wood rails and wedge heads what you have you have a nags i assume right a nags knockout a raceway um and that's pretty much it from the electromechanical pinball standpoint. And just for our listeners, just in case they don't know, uh, Todd's, Todd means 1950 Gottlieb Knockout, which is their classic um, wood rail single-player pinball with two boxers in the center of the play field that actually you know, try and hit each other, and then one guy goes down for a knockout, and a referee actually counts him out. And the, the whole purpose of the game is to try and get as many knockouts as, as possible. There's actually like a counter, a knockout counter, uh, right on the playfield for different lamp inserts. They go up to, you know, I think, you know, 20, 20 knockouts or something. You win replays at certain levels. And uh, Nags is a 1960 Williams wood rail um, that is a horsey game with uh, the whole back box has six horses in it that actually go down the track. And it has another cool feature in the center of the play field. It has a uh, like a turntable, literally like a turntable for a record player. Uh, I'd say it's probably 10 inches in diameter with six pop bumpers on the rotating um, turntable. And each one is numbered one through six, uh, which associates to the six horses in the back box. And you're trying to advance your horse, which would be you know randomly picked by the game at the at the start of the game. To uh, and by hitting your lit pop bumper, you're advancing your horse, and that's the whole idea is to get your horse across the finish line before the other horses are across the finish line. Um, Raceway is a 1963 Midway game, uh, a metal rail, but it's got a unique animated set of uh, kind of like larger, like corgi style cars. They're not actually by corgi; they're actually an English uh, Maserati and a Ferrari, and uh, they're called Dinky cars. And they actually go around a track, and instead of standard pinball scoring, it has the number of laps that each player has moved his car around the track. So bumpers are worth, you know, a certain distance each car moves on the track. So th those are real animated and interesting pinball machines, and I un completely understand why you would collect those because, you know, they're the ones that attracted me, too. I have those three titles also. Great games, great games. And yours are all working and restored? Yes, they, uh, they are all in, in fairly good condition. Not, uh, you know, not perfect, but good enough to enjoy. Okay. We're gonna, Ty, we're going to take just a little break. Um, I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to run an ad just so you can, uh, we can rest our voices for a second. So hang on just a second, okay? We'll be right back with Todd McCulloch uh, of the 76ers. Topcast is brought to you by Pinball Life. Give your pinball machine new life with parts from Pinball Life. We ship pinball parts worldwide. Pinball Life is located in the great city of Chicago. Their phone number is 773-202-8758. We have an open door policy and you're welcome to call us with your questions and concerns. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Their website is at pinballlife.com. Pinball Life. No hassles, just the parts you need best. Topcast is brought to you by Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore. Visit their website at marcospecialties.com. You can search for parts by game name, game make, or part number. Marco Specialties was founded in 1985 and is headquartered in Lexington, South Carolina. They specialize in pinball parts, supplies, books, and anything pinball. Marco has been online since 1996 and is the web's oldest and largest pinball parts supplier. Their new 12,000 square foot distribution center services 25,000 customers in over 50 countries. Feel free to call Marco Specialties at 803-957-5500. Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore at marcospecialties.com. Special, special guests, guests, special guests, special guests. Special guests. Special guest. Okay, we're back with Todd McCulloch of um, the 76ers, who now has uh, is the color commentary guy for their uh, their radio broadcast. And um, we're just talking about Todd's EM arcade collection. Now, Todd, you also collect some gun games too, right? Yeah, I like uh, I like gun games. I've got a uh, a shootout by uh, Chicago Coin, um, Casco. What bank the, robbers. Oh, bank robbers. Uh, you don't have camp. Casco Air Fighter, do you? What's Air Fighter? Air Fighter is, um, uh, you know, another Casco electromechanical thing. And what it is is they it's got a mechanical, like when you look at it, the screen looks like a, a video screen, but it's not. And it has like a silhouette of a, uh, you know, sort of like a F-16 fighter that's okay. flying across the screen. And then you've got a, um, like a joystick and a fire stick. And you're trying to steer your craft to get them in these crosshairs, and then you press a button, and it does light animation with with red lights. You know whether you hit. You know it's like you're flying. It's like a flight simulator, uh, like a dogfight flight simulator, um, jet simulator. It, it was pretty cool. You know a lot of the Casco games are, are really really interesting. I, I know you have an Untouchables too, which is actually not a gun game; it's a driving game. Um, because I read about. Your article, well, I guess it wasn't really your article, but the article in Game Room Magazine where um, you had a guy restoring that game for you. Yeah, I read his uh, the first article. I thought he did a great job on the on the horse racing game, and then I haven't got to this month's issue yet that's supposed to feature Untouchable, so I'm anxiously await that I think uh, Kevin, I know Kevin did a great job restoring the games, and uh, I thought he did a, a really good job writing about it in the last issue. Now, how did you find Kevin? Uh, Kevin was uh, referred to me by uh, by my friend Don Williams, who unfortunately uh, passed, and uh, we lost a, a very nice member of this uh, this coin up community. Yes, I, I knew Don. Um, Don was also a former rock star. Did you know that, Todd? I had no idea. Don did not tell me that. Yes, yes. He. Um, I forget the band he played in, but if I mention the name to you, I'm sure you would have heard of it. He is a former rock star, and they had a um, uh, like a you know a top ten hit um, during the '70s. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. He was actually a really good guy. He um, he contacted me uh, when he was restoring his Genco two-player basketball, and he had a lot of questions because I had reproed some of the some of the parts for that game, and I, I gave him some of that stuff, and um, I kind of developed a you know a, a, a friendship with him too. I think he, he is somebody that we're all going to miss. Uh, it really is a, a shame that that he did pass. Um, but but anyways, I don't want to dwell on that. That's that depresses me. Um, um, but anyways, um, so what you, you like, it, it's funny, as a Canadian, you know, where guns are not real prevalent like as they are here in American society, it, it's funny that you, you, you're drawn to gun games. I do, uh, I do like them. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not very on guns in the society, but, uh, fortunately I've been able to uh, separate myself and enjoy the gun games for, uh, for what they are. Uh, I've got a, an ambush, uh, which is Williams, I believe, and that's a lot of yeah, that's play and that's a, uh, mindless fun uh, on our show. Uh, kind of like a Mr. 
for Top Gun Quick Draw, you have to outdraw him. Uh, right. Chicago Coin uh, Trap Shoot, which is cool, Shoot the Bear, and Coonhunt. So I like to... Uh, my father was in the RCMP, so he was in, uh, in law enforcement in Canada for quite some time. And so uh, for part of that, depending on whether he was walking the beat or later a pilot, he would always have a, a firearm at his side. And so he wanted us to be responsible, you know, to be able to handle a gun and... So we would do target practice out at the cabin with a 22, or uh, he had a he had a bow, and we do archery. So I'm familiar with uh, uh, with guns and, and I like doing target practice, and that's kind of what what the shooting games represent is uh, some of those fond memories of uh, shooting GI Joe guys uh, tree stump at the cabin. <laughs> that's funny because when I grew up, you know, I I don't I'm not really into guns, but when I grew up, I used to go to a YMCA camp, and I was like, um, you know, I always shot the 22s, and I, I really enjoyed it, and I really became a good marksman doing it, but then after I got, you know, too old to go to the camp anymore, that was like the last time I, you know, I, I touched any sort of firearm, and, um, but as a kid, I did like to collect firecrackers and blow up the GI, the GI <laughs> Joe guys, that was, that was, I loved to tape them to the firecrackers and blow them up. That was like my favorite thing. That's, I'm kind of sick and twisted in that way, as you, I'm sure you've noticed. As the listeners know. Yes, as they they all well know. So you know, yeah, some of those gun games, like um, what I mean, what's your uh, what's your favorite electromechanical gun game? Probably uh, the ambush. I like uh, kind of like how modern it became. I, mean, I think it was the last EM gun game, and I just like being able to hold down on the trigger and just see the targets just to get riddled with uh, with virtual bullets. So, uh, that one, I, I actually uh, do have a twin rifle, which I, I became, it seemed like it was recommended on your site as one of the, the top ones where the targets pop up very quickly. And I, I really like head-to-head uh, competitions. All these games seem to get old, but they get old a lot less quickly when you're competing against somebody and you can talk trash or win, lose, draw. And uh, so I like the games that are head-to-head and, and shooting and bowling and uh, multiplayer games are uh, try, something I'm trying to focus on. Yeah, the uh, the ambush was 1973. That was Williams' last electromechanical gun game, and uh, we featured that game in our game of the week oh, a week or two ago on our on our show. And it is just mindless fun because it's you know an automatic weapon with with recoil, so it really feels like you're shooting something, um, and it's just it's mindless fun. I mean, it's just I, I love that game. It's but I'm a mindless idiot, so it you know goes goes together quite well with my personality. Um, and, oh, uh, mindless fun. Yeah, mindless, mindless fun. Twin rifles are great. Twin rifle is a what nineteen seventy one Chicago coin twin gun game. So you've got actual two guns and two players, and what happens is the target pops up, and then it's whoever can get it, shoot that target. The you know get on it, get aimed, and shoot it is the one that gets the points. And the other person gets nothing. So yeah, it's a competitive thing. You can play twin rifle by yourself too, but it's not nearly as fun, of course, as as playing against somebody. And we, you know, since you know you're a, a basketball guy, I'm sure you know you've always been very very competitive. Uh, I'm sure that's part of your you know part of your personality. You know, to, part of my makeup. Quietly competitive. I like to I like to win and then just uh, keep my pride inside. <laughs> Speaking of which, you got any good? Uh, you got any good uh, NBA? Now you were on the Nets when the Nets went to the finals against um, the team that Shaq was on, right? Yeah, the team that Shaq was on was a little team called the Los Angeles Lakers. That's so a little team. Not much history there, so I'm, I can see how you could forget a team like that. I wasn't sure if he was with the Heat or the Lakers, so I didn't want to embarrass him. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, nah, that's no problem. So, what was it like playing against him? It's, uh, not fun. It was. Uh, I mean, it was fun and not fun at the same time. If you want to measure yourself and see how uh, inadequate you are as an NBA center, he's probably uh, the guy to go up to, go up against. And he was pretty near the top of his prime at the time that I was trying to uh, handle him in the NBA Finals, and it just did not go well for uh, me or for my team. He's a a phenomenal uh, basketball player. He's a very nice guy. He's very entertaining and competitive and athletically gifted and uh, genetically gifted. So he's a, it was a lot, of, a lot of fun to play against him, and uh, I guess things just didn't go my team's way. Did what was the the final outcome? I mean, as far as win and loses in that series, uh, four wins Lakers, zero wins for the New Jersey Nets. Hmm. And you started every one of those four games. Yeah, I did. 
did uh, I did start in the uh, finals and uh, it was we had a couple of different centers and we all I started and then we all tried to use our fouls against him and put him to the line where he's traditionally not a great free throw shooter but for some reason he chose that series to average 74 percent from the free throw line so we tried to stop him with techniques that other teams have used more successfully and he went and had three out of four free throws against us and I can say that if he shoots that well then he's virtually unstoppable um, just because you know you're not going to stop him in regular game action so you mean he's you really can't defend against him you, you do your best and most guys you play against even other you know seven foot 300 pound guys if you are in a spot and he bumps into you then he's got to make a move he has to make an adjustment pivot the other way because you have that spot with with Shaq whether you know where he's going or not he tends to just go through you and so they uh, in some ways the rules don't apply and so in some ways you get he goes through you and you're standing there and there's really nothing you can do and in other ways you get away with a lot more because you can push and shove and and uh, play him more physically than someone else you would so you know he gets away with a lot the people defending him get away with a lot and he makes it very difficult for the officials to referee him um, just because of how special he is he's the only player I can think of in at least in my era where He's just uh, very hard to officiate because of how big and strong he is and nimble. Well, but I mean, isn't that um, you know if your if your feet are set and he plows through you, isn't that, that that's that's an offensive penalty, isn't it? In, in some cases, it is, and, and some guys either get knocked down on their backside. Most guys aren't going to get knocked down, so you can try and flop and, and fly, and then try and accentuate what's just happened—the contact—and the referees may hit him with an offensive foul if you if you don't. You know, flop that way, then you basically just go back a couple of steps, and uh, that may be as obvious to the referee that you had that position, and it just ends up being uh, contact. That's that's part of the game, and so I've I've never really been a a flopper, somebody that tries to draw charges. If you if you get him, great. If you don't, then he's standing there in front of the rim with a uh, a wide open dunk. So uh, my technique did not uh, did not pay off. Wow, but it was fun, right? It was fun to be uh, on a team so well to win the Eastern Conference and to go to the finals. It's a great experience. It would have been uh, nicer to, to compete and, uh, and win a couple of games. But the, the Lakers, at least the previous year, I, I had been a member of the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, less of a member with playing less minutes. But at that time, that same Lakers team had not lost a playoff game. They'd swept through everybody, and they they were expected to, to uh, roll right through the 76ers as well. And we, we took game one, and that... Uh, that kind of added a whole new dimension. Now with the Nets, it was a, another story where we didn't get any wins, and uh, the outcome didn't seem to be in doubt. Although we did have some close games and just couldn't get over the edge. Hmm, interesting. I, I love these stories, even though they're not pinball related. But I, I, I still think they're really cool. Um, I mean, and did you meet? Did you meet the guy after the game? And I mean, you said he's a really nice guy. I mean, have you had like social interaction with him too? Well, at the at the end of the game, uh, the the opposing team, the away team, will head to the uh, bus area and uh, jump on the bus and then we'll get into our cars and at the time I had a, a Porsche I'm not sure how I fit into it that was Shaq's question as I was opening up the door to get into my Porsche to drive home he said what are you doing I said I'm going to get in my car and drive home he said well that's not your car so why are you getting into it I said yes it is and so he was basically just making a comment about how small the car was and I you know shouldn't be driving just kind of joking around and then the, the very next uh, day or two days later we played again and in the jump circle we're about to get ready to tip off uh, game three of the finals, and he says, uh, be careful. And I'm thinking, like, be careful. Like, is he going to beat me up tonight, or is he gonna, what's going to happen? And he said, no, be careful driving home in a tin can, and I don't want you to get hurt. So I, uh, I found him to have quite a quite a nice personality. I, there was a, a game earlier in the season where I was posting up, and I kind of threw up this crazy left-hand hook that he defended well, and somehow it went in, and, he came over and said, hey, that, was, that was a nice shot. I said, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, there was, we were getting interviewed, of course, media days, very crazy during the NBA Finals, where there's lots of media from lots of countries, and uh, they had just finished interviewing Shaquille O'Neal about his matchup with me, and I don't think he was all that uh, concerned that he was going to get the better of me, and so they, they considered this to be one of the most lopsided center matchups in NBA history and so they had they brought that up with me and I of course I didn't think of it in time and I wish I had but they had come to me and said Todd this is you know we consider this to be one of the most lopsided center matchups in history and you know how do you how do you think this is going to play out and 
I had been thinking, I would have said, you know what, Shaq is a talented player, and he's going to do just fine in the series. I mean, I don't think you should sell him short. He's uh, he's going to hold up fine. <laughs> but, uh, but you didn't think that one, huh? No, I didn't. I didn't come up with that at the time. That was necessary, and it doesn't mean a whole lot now. So, whereas thousands of people would have heard it then, several dozen may hear it now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, you had another kind of similar story, uh, a Michael Jordan story along that line too, didn't you? Yeah, it was uh, when I entered the league in 1999. Uh, Michael Jordan had retired, I believe, maybe for the second time. He was no longer in the league, and that was that was sad for me. I, I had always admired Michael Jordan growing up as a basketball player, like most kids. And, couldn't the way he played, but I wanted to at least play against him, and it looked like that window had passed. And then when he decided to come back and play with the Washington Wizards in my uh, third year in the NBA, I was I was thrilled. And so they often, almost well, all NBA teams play exhibition games, and they tend to do them in cities that aren't NBA cities to expand the game and give the, some other fans a chance to, to see us in action. So uh, Michael Jordan's first game back from the, that present retirement was with the Wizards, and often during exhibition games, they'll ask uh, one of the players to address the crowd and thank them for coming. And it's a little bit more informal than a regular season game, although they do that sometimes now. And so they gave me the microphone up here, our director gave it to me, and I uh, told the crowd that I was glad that they came out to support NBA basketball. This was in uh, in um, Carolina. I, I, uh, I think it was Greenville. And I told them that they were in for a treat, that there was two very you know, special teams at the time. Uh, this was with the, uh, the Nets, and uh, this was against the Washington Wizards. So the crowd was pretty hyped to be able to see Jordan come back. And I said, you're going to see two very special teams and one very special player tonight who I believe is making his first trip to Greenville, Carolina to play basketball, assuming, making the assumption that the uh, fans would know that Michael Jordan had probably never played there, seeing it was not a regular city. So they, they applauded, and Michael Jordan, I think he raised his hand, and uh, when, the, when the applause died down, I said, you know, thank you for your applause. This is my first trip here to a beautiful city. I, I hope you enjoy the matchup, and kind of implied that somehow I was going to be this special player that they were going to see, and the crowd got up to the chuck. I had my mouthpiece in, and Michael Jordan came over before the tip and said, he said, I like that. That was that was good. So I've got my mouthpiece that way. <laughs> Michael Jordan talked to me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then I... I had some uh, some nerve problems that caused me to retire from the game of basketball, and ironically, Michael Jordan's last game, his finale, happened to be in Philadelphia, where I was a member of the Sixers, but on the bench, street clothes, and, and when the game ended, everyone wanted to congratulate Michael on his his uh, spectacular career, but I didn't I didn't feel like I knew him well enough to uh, to take up his time to even shake his hand, but I, I wanted to, and it looked like he was walking back to the locker room, and one of my teammates named Tyrone Hill, who's known Michael longer, said, Mike, and only got his attention. So when Michael turned around, I saw that there's an opportunity to sneak in there and, and shake his hand. And as I did, he, he you know, I, I hope you feel better, and I hope you get better. I'm sorry for what's happening. And I just, uh, I was kind of blown away that he, one, knew who I was, and two, you know, cared about what I was going through and, and knew my situation. So I'd, uh, I've always remembered that. Wow. So he's got a big heart. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a, a, an unbelievable uh, human being. Cool. Well, I'm, that's... I'm quite, he's not going to hear this. <laughs> Pardon me? If he does, uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll send him a link. <laughs> there you go, that I'm sure, Yeah, that I'm sure will bounce. Um, but anyways, back to uh, back to the pinball thing. Now, we talked about your, uh, your EM gun game collection. What about driving games? What EM driving games do you have? EM driving games. Well, you got a Motorama, right? I've got a Motorama that's uh, under construction, under restoration. And that's a Genco from the, um, what, 56, I believe. And it's kind of an unusual driving game. Do you have any other drivers? Um, in terms of EM or modern? No, in terms of EM. I don't EM, care about uh, that video uh, stuff. Chicago Coin Speed Shift. I've got a Speed Shift. Okay. Um, the uh, Speedway, which was by... No, you mean Chicago Coin Speedway, Allied Leisure... Super Shift, is that what you meant? Um, it's called Chicago Coin Speed Shift. It's kind of like Super Shifter, I think, but it's a little different. Okay. okay. Um, and then the one Speedway, uh, who, who made that one where it kind of looks like a figure eight in a pinball cabinet? That right, one? it's uh, Southland Engineering, 1963, I want to say. And Southland Engineering was started by Harry Williams. Harry Williams left Williams 
1960. Uh, just kind of interesting history. That was the same year that Steve Kordak came in came into Williams and started working at Williams. And basically, Harry Williams was one of the key designers at Williams of their games. And when Harry left, um, Kordak stepped in to become the, quote, pinball designer. And most of the games through the 60s, 70s were designed by Steve Kordak. But anyway, so Harry moved to California and apparently got bored and started this company called Southland Engineering. And they made, um, you know, he might have signed a uh, non-compete clause because he didn't make any pinball machines, but he made um, Little Pro, which is that mannequin golfing game that I know you probably have one of, because I actually got you that game at one time. Uh, you were going to fix it, and then you, uh, then you didn't. That was my fault? <laughs> we, we ran out of town. I had to get the Allen down. Oh, all right, right, right. Okay, and then, uh, but anyway, Speedway is like a, um, a figure-eight uh, race car track on, on a pinball cabinet, and it has two slot cars uh, on the track. And basically, there's two steering wheels at the front of the game, like where the lockdown bar would be. And you race against the other guy, um, you know, trying to get the most laps in a set period of time. So it's kind of you got that game all working, right? Uh, it's working. Uh, it's working fairly well. You know, it's hard to keep the uh, cars competitive and keeping them at the same speed, but it's a lot of fun. And my nephew, who's uh, four. Uh, was playing it with my wife, and uh, the way mine is wired, which I don't, I don't think is is correct. I think uh, mine just kind of runs. Whether you move the wheel or not, it runs. Now, if you move the steering wheel at the correct time it turns, that will slow the car down less. I think it's supposed to be where if you don't have that steering wheel in the current position, it cuts power and doesn't move. And that's my impression after uh, playing uh, another vectors. Right, that, anyway, that's correct. My nephew and his friends to uh, move the wheel whichever way they want, see the cars race around the track, and so my wife was uh, playing against him, and my wife was, was winning most of the race, or my wife was letting my nephew win most of the race, and she decided to win one, and it was then when he's like, you know what, you can play this by yourself, I'm done, and he walked away. So, And he's four uh, years old? Yeah, he's, he's four, and he, you know, he'll go downstairs and turn on the pink machines and get him going, so he likes, uh, he likes my collection. The, uh, the other figure eight game that I, I actually noticed that uh, Speedway one on your website, and I thought it looked really cool to have a slot car track inside a, a pinball cabinet. And the other one I noticed that I hope to get someday was the AMF uh, American Speedway, which is uh, much bigger and much longer, but I thought it looked like a, like a hoot. And uh, You're not talking about the American Indy. You're talking about the huge one, right? I'm talking about the huge one, about the uh, the 10-foot-long uh, uh, thing, and that's uh, I acquired it a little while ago and, and took two, and had a uh, friend of mine named Bill McMichael uh, restore, make two into one, and that was part of the, uh, I knew I was going to need a, a little more space, and so I thought, you know, when this new game room is built, it, it was, it was part of it was to be able to have room to be able to get that thing in there. So it's it's a lot of fun, and um, I like I like that game a lot. Now, to that one, because the the Southland Engineering, you were right, what happens is, is like, on the straightaway, there's no accelerator pedal. All you do is steer. So on the straightaway, you got to keep the steering wheel in the center, and then there's power to the car. But as soon as the car hits the corners, if you keep the steering wheel straight, the power shuts off to the car. Now, if you turn the steering wheel to the right on a right-hand corner, then it closes the switch that puts power to the car around the corner. Then as the car comes into the straightaway, if that switch is still closed, again, it kills the power to the car. So it's all about timing when you turn not how hard or how far you turn, but when you turn, that keeps the car going as fast as possible. Now, you're saying that this AMF, though, is more like a traditional slot car where you have an accelerator? Uh, no, there's no uh, there's no accelerator. Just like, just as you mentioned, you just have a steering wheel, and straight away you keep it straight. The left turn, you turn it left, and uh, and right turn, you turn it right. Okay, so same working principle. Exactly. Okay, interesting, interesting. And that game's uh, much newer, too, isn't it? I think it's uh, I think it's 1960 that one. Oh really? Okay, okay. I thought it was uh, in the 70s. Uh, yeah, any information I got was from your site, and I, I could be totally wrong, and maybe it is 1970. Oh, I I, I could be totally wrong too. I'm not. Frankly, I just don't remember. I think you said 1960s. I, I'm not sure you had an exact date. For oh, that. I just said 60s. Yes, yeah, so I may not have an exact date for that. Yeah. But anyway, so so okay, so we covered. Um, Covered the pinballs. We covered the EM driving games. We covered the gun games. What uh, what about pitching bats or baseballs? What uh, what's your favorite pitching bat and baseball? Or, or what do you have in your collection? Well, the uh, 
uh, my favorite one is uh, for pitching that would be the uh, Star Slugger. I uh, played it first at your house. In fact, you've got a nice uh, lineup of, of baseball there. I was initially drawn to official baseball. Just I, I felt like it looked like a a little mini uh, baseball field under glass. I thought it looked amazing, and, uh, and you were telling me that Star Slugger was the was the game to play. And uh, and there's no real mannequins on the play field, but you do have the animated running man unit. I did like the three-dimensional style of the figures compared to the Williams animated unit. So I, first I found official baseball because I didn't value your opinion as much then, and then I realized you were right and that Star Slugger was a better playing game. And, Gee, thanks. Uh, the heck? Gee, thanks. Yeah, so, uh, so Star Slugger, and, and uh, I, was, I didn't think I'd be able to uh, find a, a 1937 Rockola World Series and uh, actually did find one and so that's probably my uh, my favorite it's got the all the uh you know great mechanics and the, the animated uh well, the players move back and forth a little bit it's got little mannequins on the play field yeah i should probably explain to people because not a lot of people know what these games are the 1960 williams uh, official baseball that you were talking about is uh, like a pinball style cabinet pitching bat but it's got little um little like cast men on the play field it's it, it's one of the few pitching bats that actually has men on the play field that aren't like you know flat silk screen on the on the formica and uh, because of that it's unique but it's not a uh, there's no ramps and it's not necessarily a real good player um it looks great but it doesn't play so well it has a running man unit which means there's a two-dimensional cardboard guys that run around the bases in the back box and then um, it's it's good looking game. I, it doesn't play awful, but it's just not the best playing pitching bat. And then the United Star Slugger um, came out in 1956 by, of course, United, and it has uh, the Running Man unit too. But the the men are actually little plastic three dimensional men, about the same size as the Williams, but they're you know actual. They're not flat, and uh, it has um, not only does it have ramps, it's got three decks. So you can get a home run into the lower deck, the middle deck, and the upper deck. And actually, you're trying to do that, get a, a ball in each inning into each one of the decks, and then you can win, like, I don't know, 30 runs or something like that. It really is a fun game. Um, big monster, though. It's uh, it's a big game. Um, even uh, by your standards, Todd, I'd say that's a large game. <laughs> you know, that uh, is, uh, it is a big game. Yeah, about it. And then, of course, the pinnacle of any pitch and bat collection would be the 1937 Rockola World Series, that was actually invented by Harry Williams in 1930 and put out. It's called Ameri- All American Baseball by a, a different company, and then Rockola kind of copied the design uh, in 37 and came out with it again in kind of a jukebox style cabinet. For the time, with you know, with like a, a veneer maple or uh, or veneer wood sides, really, really good game. It has the 37 All Stars with like DiMaggio and you know the, the whole lineup, and it actually has their names on. It t- tells you when you bat who's up at bat, and um, it really unique. Like the pitcher has uh, you know like a dozen different angles and way to throw the ball, and it's. The whole game is just unbelievable, but an incredibly hard game to find and extremely expensive and also hard to restore. Now, when you bought yours, was it all restored or did you have to have it restored? It was, uh, it was all restored. I, I believe it was a John Papa restoration, and so it's, uh, it's in beautiful shape. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's an unbelievable, unbelievable find. Was it a hard game to find? Um, well, I mean, John Papa sometimes uh, comes into that game, and so when I contacted him, it was it was available. So I, I guess it's hard and easy at the same time. Right. Well, I guess it's hard to get cheap <laughs> because that's kind of you know I I, I kind of picked the low hanging fruit where you're kind of got the step ladder and you know you're picking the higher stuff than me. You know, so you know it doesn't come up for the on the low hanging branches too often. And, and you know, so I, I've never been able to acquire one. It's one of the few pitching bats that I'd I'd love to be able to find if I could afford it. Um, but it's it, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty expensive game. You know, probably certainly if you were buying it from Papa, you, I'm sure he didn't give it away. You know, that's, no. Yeah, not his style. Not his style. So, any other pitching bats that you like? Well, there's another one that uh, that I know you you like. It's called the Chicago Coin Batter Up, which is kind of a pitching bat, except there's no real pitching mechanism and no cutting mechanism except for uh, a light animation below the translucent play field and it, it right. does have 
does have some manne- mannequins on the play field, little baseball players, and you're, you try and time your swing of a virtual bat to uh, direct the light mechanism under there to go through a couple of holes in the back that are home runs. And it uh, could have been, it is a lot of fun. I could see the game not being fun, but it turns out to be uh, fun and very different to play. So it's, uh, it's kind of a trip to watch and, and uh, see happen. I mean, when did you get that game? I didn't know, even know you bought that game. Um, probably about two years ago. Man, you're supposed to get permission from me when you buy the games that I want. Oh, that's that's right. I forgot to email you for permission on that, or I didn't get your memo on that. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a game I've been looking for for quite some time, the 58 Chicago Coin Batter Up. I have not been able to find it. Now, where did you pick that one out of? Um, out of the back of a truck. Uh, a friend of mine... Uh, you mean it just pulled up to your house and out it came? You know, it pulled up to my house, uh, delivering another one, and uh, that was in there, and... I took a look at it, and I saw the mannequins on the play field, which kind of, uh, you know, looked interesting to me, but I had never heard of Batter Up, so I actually did a little research on uh, on your page, and it uh, sounded pretty interesting, so that's how I ended up with it. And, okay, I'm going to run down a couple other big, like, EMRK titles. I, I don't know if you own all these, because I, I, I can't keep track of what you own anymore. You know, you're... You're you're a bio you're you're like a collector holic. You know you almost need counseling for all, you know all the stuff that you know. That you Are you going to do the counseling? No. Well, yes. Is going to be an on-air segment? Give me your I'll games. Help too. Mail your games to me. There you go. How's that working for counseling? Subliminal. Not, not good subliminally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you have a Chicago Coin 1955 Around the World Trainer? No, I do not. Is that one you've been looking for? Um, I like the game. I've played the game. Um, you know, at first I thought I wouldn't uh, fit in it, and I don't fit it normally when I have had a chance to play it. I, I keep my uh, my legs out to the side, and it gives me a little bit of an unfair advantage to be able to balance myself. So uh, it's uh, not designed for someone of my stature, shall we say. Right, so that's not a big one that you've been looking for. How about Midway Chopper? Helicopter game. <laughs> I've always wanted a... Midway Chopper, and I, uh, I have a, a, a couple in different different uh, states, and none of them are fully working, but uh, it's in the progress of trying to uh, make one out of uh, out of a couple of ones that are incomplete. Cool game by Midway, 1974. It's got an 8-track in it. Um, it's probably the best of the helicopter games, the electromechanical helicopter games, where you're actually flying a, a, you know, a genuine helicopter. I mean, you've got two controls. It is actually, well, it's not like I fly helicopters for a living or anything. But My, it's, my brother has his helicopter rating. Actually, he's uh, dominated my Whirlybird. He uh, has the current high, and I don't think it's fair because he has his helicopter rating. So it, he says it is very much like the real deal? No, he said it's actually opposite. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, but he he was able to you know trick his brain in a sense. I guess if you were playing pinball, it'd be like uh, taking your hands and hitting the opposite one. So he he's obviously got the touch, but uh, he said it's it's reversed. So <laughs> now, what about um, uh, some interesting? Uh, Sega was making uh, electromechanical uh, EM games, and actually some of them are quite collectible. You have a Sega Cowboy, don't you? I have a Sega Cowboy. I really like Sega Cowboy, and some of the stuff that's rare. I think you have a flyer on your on your website, but I don't know if you have any more information. I think when I contacted you about it, you didn't really, uh, you, I don't think you'd ever played it. And um, I Yeah, all I have is the flyer. That's correct. So where um, are my pictures, Todd? Um, they're in, uh, in Seattle, so I'm going to have to, uh, you have to come out and, and take them. But uh, Lloyd in, uh, at SS Billiards in uh, the Minneapolis area, I was flying over there, and, and he remembered when his father was operating a cowboy, and he told me it was uh, a lot of fun. So when I when I found it, I picked it up, added it to the collection, and sometimes you got to kind of maybe just go off a flyer or maybe you go off someone's recommendation. Sometimes you almost have to uh, decide on something before you get a chance to play it, which is probably not recommended, but we all know that uh, it's not like you can go around the corner to the arcade and try all this stuff. So i uh, very happy with the way that one turned out it's a lot of fun it's very simple like a lot of the stuff but pretty pretty neat effect with the mirror and the lasso and the cowboy and well what is the object of the game well well you've got this little toy plastic cowboy in the front he's you know he's bobbing up and down like he's like he's on a horse and in the background there's a, a bull that's running left to right and you have a lasso that's circling and you can kind of tell you know where the position of the cowboy's hand is and you just have one button and a lot of the Sega ones were quite simple that way and uh, you just hit the button, and depending on where his hand is in, in the circle, um, he throws it, aim the lasso at the hooves of the uh, 
of the steer, try and get him to go. And if you get all four, then he, he hits the ground. And unfortunately, I, uh, I, it did come with a tape, and um, I, I, I'm waiting to get the tape back. In the meantime, I didn't have any 8-track, so I found some kind of Christmas polka. So right now, the 8-track uh, is in there. When you, when you rope the uh, steer, you hear some polka come on, and it sounds a little strange for a Sega Cowboy game, but uh, <laughs> there is a little bit of sound going on right now. I love those 8-track players that are in a lot of those EM, 70s EM arcade games. Now, uh, you've got a, um, a Sega Grand National, don't you? Yes, I have a Sega Grand National, and that's actually uh, missing. I have the tape, but I think there's some sort of a, a board on the on the uh, 8-track player. So if anybody out there has uh, an extra Grand National or a Sega, I don't even know which board I need, but one of them on the tape player. That's So I, anyway, I have the game, no sound. Um, it's a lot of fun to play. And what it is, is it's like a giant conveyor belt with, like, um, jumps, horse jumps on it. And your horse doesn't move but the conveyor belt does move and you're trying to get your horse to jump over all the jumps right kind of like this steeplechase yeah where uh you know the uh, the jumps are there some of them are double jumps some of them are single jumps and your horse moves from left to right um then back and forth quite slowly and whatever jumps are ahead of you you have to try and time and hold your jump to uh, get your horse over there and the, the horse is kind of in a, a galloping motion and it's uh, it's kind of a trip yeah, it's kind of actually the horse version of the Casco Untouchables in a way, except of course you're not jumping over anything in the in the car tunt chase but of the Untouchables. With the cabinet and the belt, it's so there are certain similarities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of cool. Now, you speaking of horse games, there was uh, a horse game that you recently had restored that was that was uh, chronicled in the Game Room magazine. What? Um, why don't you tell us a, you know, about that genre and and why you have that? Those are gambling games, really. Um, you know, why, what, what attracted you to those? Well, I, uh, I have traveled with the Canadian national team to different countries and different continents for basketball, and one of them took me to Japan for the World University Games in Fukuoka, Japan. And during an off day, we took the subway to uh, downtown Fukuoka, and there, there were a whole lot of our arcades there. And a lot of them had uh, horse racing things, Royal Ascot by Sega, where you could sit around and, and the horses would would move around the oval and you could, you know, bet tokens and maybe, you know, win some prizes or whatever. I just had real fond memories of, of that day watching these mechanical horses run around the track, and so I always kind of had that, uh, you know, thought someday I'd like to get something like that, but of course those those machines are quite huge. So I, um, when I saw on, uh, on eBay this game come up, and, it, and a lot of the horse racing games are sort of straight ahead, and this was the first one that was, oval that I noticed and it really kind of caught my eye and there were nine horses and you could bet nickels on them and and, uh, and try and see if your horse would win so it kind of just brought back those memories and so uh, and, and it's a 70s game and it's completely electromechanical it doesn't I, I can't remember does it run on an air compressor or something or uh, no no compressor just uh, just electricity and it's, it just uh, runs on a series of chains it's chain driven for each of the horses and there's a randomizer with a, a Vitor decade system to uh, to sort of pre-select the winner and of course known to the player um, and Nixie tubes are used to indicate how many nickels have been bet on each particular horse for that race and then there's a little little payout drawer uh, in the middle so it was designed manufactured by the Nevada Gaming Corporation I think in the 60s for probably casinos down there and, and uh, they use some pretty unique parts some of them are telephone uh, telephone parts some would be you know a hopper would be a slot machine type thing and um, you know, back glass, the score wheel, and mechanical horses. So it, it's a, a strange machine, and I was very glad that Kevin Kiner had the, uh, the knowledge and the skills to be able to make it work the way it was designed. Wow. So that's pretty cool. All right, uh, Todd, we're going to um, take a little break, and we're going to let uh, some people call in. Is that okay? You want to take a couple questions if, if somebody wants to call in? Sounds like fun. Okay. Um, the phone number is 1-800 if you want to ask Todd McCulloch formerly of the uh, Philly 76ers, NBA, uh, some questions. And we're going we're gonna to run a, uh, a couple of little commercials here, and um, we'll be right back. Hold on a second to your Todd as I get these things kind of queued up. The Pin Game Journal is a proud sponsor of TopCast. It covers pinball like no other publication can. The Pin Game Journal is America's only pinball publication. Whether you're looking for new games or the classics, reports on industry shows or collector expos, 
insights on a game you want or features to help you fix the game you've got, Pin Game Journal's for you. Their website is at pingamejournal.com. Pins and Vids Episode 2, Attack of the Phones, is now available at pinsandvids.com. It's the best pins and vids yet. Double the fun and half the underwear of the first episode. Surely to be nominated for an Oscar for the best use of fake phones in a niche video or best special effects during a dream sequence. Worth much, much more than the $6 including shipping selling price. It's worth at least $7 or $7.50. Get your copy now at pinsandvids.com. And now for a word from our lawyer. The entire sale price goes to the Pinball Hall of Fame. First episode, also available. Some pinball machines were hurt during the filming of the pins and vids, but they were old. Get your deranged DVDs on Coin Up Goodness now. Hi, you're on the air with Todd. Uh, what's your first name? Hey, it's Kevin Kynert. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Real good. Everything still playing good? Everything's running great, and uh, thank you for the, the first article you wrote. I haven't seen the Untouchables one yet, but I'm anxiously awaiting. I thought you did a great job with the Horse Derby one. I hope you got my phone message. Yeah, the, the March issue's out. I just got it. So. Oh, good. I'm, I should be here any day then. Turned out pretty good. I didn't catch the beginning of your interview. I didn't know if you were talking about the games or not. But uh, Shaggy got a great show. I really love it. Well, cool. Well, that's that's really good. And uh, now, how did you two guys meet up here? Well, um, but I don't know if you remember a guy named Don Willems. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah, we kind of covered that. I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. Was that talked about at the beginning of the show? Yeah, right? we did. We did. Till we talked about Don. Um, in in the unfortunate. Yeah, unfortunate. But yeah. Uh, that's. I did his game first, and then he passed my name along. Oh, you mean so Don had one of these? Uh, well, actually, I traded uh, a second unit that I had. I had two of them. One's in my collection, and uh, I had another one. Don put a uh, AMI Continental two jukebox on eBay about a year and a half ago, and I've always wanted one. Uh, it didn't meet his reserve price, but I emailed him and said, you know, I have a list of things here that I'd consider trading, and uh, he he looked over the list. He said, "I'd take the Casco Untouchable." So we made that trade. Hmm. Interesting. You know. And then, uh, so have you done? Uh, Todd, has he done other work for you too? Uh, just these two games right now. But I know when I uh, come into something uh, something tough, I'm going to be sending the next thing uh, down to him. Right now, where are you located? I'm in Santa Maria, California, which is the central coast of California. I'm oh. about halfway between LA and San Francisco by Vandenberg Air Force Base. Uh, Benford Air Force Base, uh, Pismo Beach, in that area, uh, hour north of Santa Barbara. And do you have a web page? Yeah, I do. It's uh, and it's in both uh, issues of Gamer Magazine. If you can spell my last name, which is K E I N E R T, it's kinder.com. I've had that one forever, and I just registered a new one, gameroomrepair.com. Oh, much better. I can yeah. spell that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other thing that, that happened to me was uh, uh, Roger from the, I think it's called Coin Slots or Slot Company, someplace up there in Washington, he sent me uh, recently Electricity is Life from 1902. Right. And I redid that one for him. So that's on my website now also. Very cool, because I need to steal pictures of Todd's game for my website. I don't have that, that game at well, all on my website. E email me, and I'll send you all the original pictures, so you'll have them in good resolution and stuff. Okay, great. Although the only thing I don't have is the full game together with the back glass, because Todd didn't send it, so it wouldn't get broken. Right, right. The full one from him. Now, Todd, how were you smart enough to know that that was a good game to buy? Um, I've never been all that to part with uh, some of the games I bought. I, I, like I said, I just nostalgically, I remember in Japan watching those games of the horses running around and thinking that that's really cool. And I'd seen some of the horse racing games where, where the different lights would light up. And to me, that wasn't the same as uh, the horses. And I, I, it was the first game that I saw that was, it's a big game, but it's not monstrous. And they went around in an oval and it just, uh, I thought it would be a whole lot of fun to sit there and uh, compete with my friend. Hmm. So that, you, you, know, you, you rolled the never, dice on that one. What's that? You rolled the dice on that one, then. I did. I've rolled the dice on a lot of things. Most things I've been uh, happy about. A few things have, have moved along. But I, I remember wondering if it would be worth it. And uh, it, it was working when I when I first got it. And I had a couple of uh, teammates over from the Sixers and a couple other friends. And I was standing at one end of the room. And my two uh, friends, who are, are loud and boisterous, were yelling their horse's number and pushing and shoving each other, having a great time. I thought right there, uh, yeah, it's worth it. It just proved it's worth right now. <laughs> and uh, one of my teammates, is a friend of mine named Samuel D'Alembert, was 
downstairs, and I had uh, my uh, Seattle Tech friends from Classic Amusement upstairs, and I said, you got to check out this horse racing machine downstairs. My friends are having a great time with it. I come down, place a nickel, nothing happens. And like an idiot, I place another nickel, nothing happens. And so my techs, they look in the coins, uh, there's a whole bunch of quarters down here in your nickel machine. And I look around, and Sam goes, uh, sorry, thought it was a quarter machine. So he had to, there had to be a handful of quarters in there. And, you know, so they jammed it. The worst thing. So we got that out and made it work, and I've been happy to have it ever since. And then stopped working, and that's where that's where Kevin came into the equation. Okay. Hey, Kevin, I'm going to let you go in case somebody else wants to get in. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to hang up. One last question. Is this show going to be available for download eventually? Yeah, it'll be uh, available for download probably in a couple hours, a couple, three All hours. Right. You gentlemen have a great day. You still there, Todd? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, that was that was nice that he caught. It's amazing that he even knew about this because it was yeah. really like a last-minute thing that we that we put out there. And, and it's great that uh, that he called in. Wow, that's, that's really cool. So, I mean... You know, you what what games have you you know gambled, rolled the dice on that you weren't so happy with? Um, you know, things. There was one that I think you had some interest in, uh, uh, Commando, um, which I think is the one with the uh, with the helicopter. Right. Yeah, the Chicago Coin Commando. That one didn't turn out so good. That one didn't turn out so good. Uh, Defender, Chicago Coin Defender. I kind of rolled the dice on that, and I I prefer uh, Sea Rescue and and Stun Pilot, and thought I'd like Defender a little more than I did. So. Some of those big uh, cabinet games rolled the dice a little bit with uh, Big Top, thinking it would be just like Twin Rifle, and to me it didn't turn out to be nearly as good. Uh, Twin Ski Shoot I thought would be a little bit better than it was. So those are games that I um, bought and, and wasn't crazy about until they uh, moved along. Yeah, luckily those are, none of those games are real expensive. They're all kind of, you know... Several hundred dollar games. Yeah, yeah, basically. But they're, you know, they're. I don't want to say that they're not fun. They're just, you know, they're not. You know, when you've got a big collection and you've got a lot of, you've got the top end games to compare them to. Yeah, they might not quite measure up. Um, I'm still working on my uh, my stunt pilot, um, which is a midway game from the early '70s, uh, which is, you know, you keep on telling me how good of a game that is. I got to get mine up and running. I uh, I like it. Got a father was a pilot. My brother has his pilot's license, and a buddy of mine is a pilot, so they uh, they tend to dominate me. Cool. All right, Todd, well, I know you've got a game tonight that you've got to go do the color commentary on, so uh, I am going to let you go. I really, really do appreciate you spending the time with us uh, to talk about your collection and, uh, in, and, your, and your NBA career. It was really fun. I, r- I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you for uh, giving me the time. I look forward to seeing you when I'm in Detroit. All right, man. You're going to call me when you come into town? Yeah, I'm going to uh, give you a ring. Yeah, because you usually come over here, and I can't get rid of you, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I tend to do that. That's okay. That's okay. We'll put up with it. I can watch you hit your head on the top of all my my doorways, you know, all day long. It's kind of a, you know, makes me feel good. Have those cut into our toys by the time I'm there, okay? Thanks. All right, Todd, you take care and have a have a good game tonight. Okay, thanks. All right, man, take care. Bye. Bye. All right, well, that was our show from TopCast today with uh, Tom McCulloch, uh, former NBA star for the Philadelphia 76ers, and pinball and arcade game collector, uh, electromechanical arcade games. No, he really has no video games in his collection. He prefers those. But thank you very much, and uh, good day.